Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really delighted to be speaking to Eliza Parker all the way from Austin, Texas. Eliza, thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us all today. Absolutely. Hi, this is so fun. (laughs) We've been trying to connect for a long time, so it's really lovely that we're finally here and that I get to meet you. Um, I will just introduce you in case people aren't aware of who you are. So Eliza's an aware parenting instructor working in America and all over the world, presumably. Eliza's work helping babies sleep, move and feel better revolves around her respect for babies and toddlers as whole people who enter the world aware, desiring to communicate and learn and with the ability to process and self-heal within relationship. Her conscious baby practice employs unique approaches to non-cry-it-out sleep, baby-led milestone development, healing birth trauma, and parental attunement to nonverbal cues and crying. As a certified aware parenting instructor, infant developmental movement educator, body-mind centering practitioner, and trained Feldenkrais practitioner, Eliza's life-changing perspective and respectful solutions toward common parenting challenges transcend typical parenting advice. Wow, that all sounds amazing. And we really need to be transcending typical parenting (laughs) advice right now in the world. Yes, we do. (laughs) So I'd love to start by asking, how did you come across Aware Parenting and what was it about it that really resonated for you and got you started on this beautiful journey? So I'm from North Carolina, which is East Coast, and I live in Texas now, which is South, middle of the country South, but I lived in Colorado for a few years. And I was involved in a fun music and dance drama thing. And that's where I met Sarah Salter, my good friend, who is Aletha's daughter. (laughs) I knew her for a year before I knew what her mother did. And I was already working with babies. And one day sitting at a picnic table at a park in Boulder, we were chatting and Sarah was like, you know, my mom wrote a book about babies. (laughs) And I was like, maybe I should read it. And that was Aware Baby, and here we are. (laughs) So I was already working with baby-led motor development, and that's from the body-mind centering approach, which has a branch of its work called infant developmental movement education. So I was already doing that, and then I added Aware Parenting along with that. Wow. And what was it about it that, that appealed to you particularly? I'm all about underlying needs and what the child is really communicating and seeing past the surface. And I feel like that's what aware parenting does. It's a deep dive down into what's really going on, what's behind the surface, instead of just trying to fix the symptoms, which is so common. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that too. That real understanding that our 
babies right from the beginning are always trying to communicate with us that always, however our child is behaving, whatever they're doing, there's always a, a legitimate need underneath that that mm -hmm. they're trying to communicate to us. And it's such a different approach, isn't it, than just dealing with the symptoms, but actually getting mm -hmm. in there and, and exploring what the reasons are and then yeah, finding solutions. There's so much they're already communicating if we just know how to how to listen and look and receive it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So mm -hmm. why do you think it is that we have this real misunderstanding about babies? Because it is so common in, in our culture, I'm sure it is in America too, to presume that babies are like a blank slate that just yeah. come into the world needing to be done to. And and basically that they all they need is is to be fed and have their nappy changed and that that that's enough, and there isn't this this understanding about all the other deep awarenesses and understandings that our babies have and this innate desire to communicate in in quite sophisticated ways once we tune into it. Mm -hmm. And that they are experiencing a whole range of of emotions and feelings, as well as their immediate physical needs. Why do you think that's so misunderstood? How many hours do we have to talk? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I feel like one core piece of this is how when we have a crying baby in front of us, without knowing about aware parenting, we tend to respond how we were raised whatever's ingrained in us or already habitual. And it's interesting because a lot of parents tell me, oh, but nursing for comfort feels like that's instinct or shushing and bouncing, that's my instinct. And I really find there are some instincts, but there are also some habits that feel like instinct, but they're learned habits. And it's usually a learned habit if it's related to emotions. So our own history comes to the forefront so much and it's so subconscious. And I think that most of us were raised without aware parenting, without really being listened to or heard or allowed to express our feelings. And so that's of course going to be at the forefront of people's perception of babies. And in the medical world, at least with what I'm familiar with, there's a lot of control. There's a lot of, there are a lot of other layers. And so if someone was listened to as a baby and they got that patterning in, in them subconsciously, they're more likely as grownups to have that avenue more accessible. But I think the majority of us didn't really have that. And so that's what leads in culture. So to me, it also means there's a lack of awareness because of that, because all of that has been shut down so early on for so many people that it's just, it's just missing. There's this lack of awareness. It takes a lot of inner work as well and awareness and being open to authenticity and open to underlying needs. And we're used to finding the solutions, like give me the five steps so that my baby will sleep or this happened with my baby. What do I do now? Sometimes that information is needed, but we can get so used to the symptoms or what's on the external, what's on the surface, which if we focus there can also 
just completely bypass the communication that's happening and understanding that babies are innately aware and they are trying to communicate. It's also easy for us grown-ups to to be used to the way that we communicate. We communicate with words and how often are parents saying to their young children, "Use your words, use your words." When like <laughs> there's a whole process in there. They got to get their feelings out and the feelings are communication. But I think that's a layer too. And and really giving it time and space and feeling like we're always in a hurry, but to really pay attention to how aware babies are and how much they communicate. It, re- it requires us to go on baby time. Baby time is different than our try and be speedy time. It's also symbolic. Baby and toddler, especially toddler behaviors are very symbolic often, especially related to birth story. And it's obvious once you know to look for it, but some of those things seem like behaviors and culturally we're so used to labeling behaviors or teaching them how to act or behave or thinking they're being demanding at bedtime when really there's a link to their birth story or the way they play. There's a lot of symbolic things that especially toddlers do that are communicating with us, except we tend to have a behaviorist approach and think it's behavior that needs to be taught. And that's where aware parenting and for me personally, we just flip it all upside down, inside out, that when a, when something's getting labeled as a behavior and it needs to be taught, that it's actually communication and to dig into that the more. I love that. That was That was a very long partial answer to that question. <laughs> I loved it. I really loved how you described all that. I think so many of those points are absolutely crucial in this. And I really, I really love that you brought in our patterns and that distinction between instincts and, and learned habits when it comes to responding to children, because that's a really powerful distinction, isn't it? Because you do often mm-hmm. habitually go into these responses to children but yes, it's it's come from where that's come from is our own our own yeah. patterning in, in our own stories. And of course, that's so subconscious for, for so many of us. It really requires a lot of, of work to look into that and to explore that yes. and to become aware of that. And I also really loved what you were saying about that we see communication from a very adult perspective. We see communication as being words and there are nonverbal aspects to it that we understand but essentially we see it as words and and instead when we can offer this perspective that actually there are lots of different ways of communicating and that babies are doing it in very sophisticated ways we just have to be able to mm-hmm. interpret it then it becomes so much clearer that their behavior is is to trying to tell us something and i loved also mm-hmm. what you were saying about the need to to bring in some space and to slow down from our very fast paced world and our very fast paced mm-hmm. culture and often there's lots of pressure and expectations on on very new mothers to be yeah. living a certain way to be rushing around to be doing lots of things but this work really requires us to slow it all down so that we can be much more attuned to work out exactly what it is that our babies are telling us once we have this understanding that perhaps that might be going on. So I loved how you described that. I also really liked how you brought in that our birth experiences 
impact the way that we behave and the way that we communicate and what our needs are and what our personality appears to be uh, because I think that's that's also so often misunderstood in our culture that it it's seen that if, if at the end of a birth the mother and the baby are both alive then that's that's all we really need to explore mm-hmm. about that story but actually it deeply impacts who we are and how we are in the world so I love that you brought that in what what were you going to add? What would you like to add to that? I'd love to come back to the birth story stuff, but I wanted to add, you're talking about the pressure on new mothers. And I think that's tied into because about crying, related to crying, there is so much pressure on parents to stop the crying, to figure out why baby is crying and stop the crying. And of course, we want to respond to needs. That's number one. But that crying beyond immediate needs that we talk about as crying in arms and that you don't have to distract, you don't have to ignore, you don't even have, if it's crying beyond needs and you've checked off your checklists and baby is still crying to just hold them in arms and be present and listen and let them cry. Again, related to our own history, if when adults have not, were not as babies listened to or allowed to cry, then that it's going to trigger early, early responses, not analytical high brain responses, but limbic system, lower brain survival responses. And that makes a lot of the world out there not want babies to cry. And when we're talking about babies, if we're always stopping the crying, then that's a lot of communication being stopped. There's also some material out there about saying that babies' brains can't handle big emotions. And for me, I find it's usually the adults that can't handle it (laughs) because it's triggering all these patterns and it's us who also need to learn. Obviously, we need to figure out is there an immediate need or something going on for the baby that we need to address? But I think that there's a lot out there about brain development and sleep and how many hours babies need of sleep. And so there's something in there too about fear that grownups have often about letting babies cry and not understanding the difference between crying that's being listened to which is really different than crying that's being ignored or separated from. So that feeds into all of this. So why babies are often not seen as aware, conscious, because that mindset is just missing so much of their communication. Mm, Yeah, I loved how you described that too. And calling it crying beyond needs, I think is really helpful for people to understand. And yeah, I love how there is more and more language around this now, that this mm. describing these two two different reasons really for crying. But I yeah. really uh, liked your description too of how we are pre-programmed to want to stop the crying in babies because it activates that very sort of primal fear response in us mm-hmm. because of how we were responded to ourselves as babies. And I love the sense that as more and more children and babies are supported to cry with loving support and are heard and allowed to communicate in these ways, I'm just imagining the huge cultural shifts that are coming 
because they're mm-hmm. going to be the next generation of parents who are actually able to be with that mm-hmm. without it causing a fear response in them. Instead, it's something that people will respond to with like celebration. <laughs> it's like, awesome. <laughs> I'm here. I'm listening. I've got you. Tell me more. And, and how powerful that will be because it is it is a difficult thing to unlearn. It is. Yeah. That's how you know someone's <laughs> I feel like that's the aware parenting initiation is when you when you become excited that your baby is crying. When I was learning this work, I was nannying a particular baby and she knew she, and I was giving her information and she was on board. But there was one day she came home and I was like, it was so great. Your baby cried for 20 minutes. It was amazing. And she was like, what? <laughs> my baby cried for 20 minutes so when you get to the point where you're like yes my baby cried <laughs> yeah. it's like big transition but the fear response I think it might be helpful to to separate out our legit response crying crying is meant to trigger us to respond so there's a legit response in there yes and hormonal for for moms. But then there's also the patterning, the old patterning that is so subconscious and so survival-based that sometimes that gets overlapped and mixed in. And if that's the case, then it can be hard to separate those things out. So then it can be easy to assume, oh, my baby's crying, I need to stop them from crying because those two things get overlapped. Yeah. Thank you for, for, for bringing that up. I think that's always really important. And I love how Aletha in the Aware Baby talks at length about how our first response is always to look for immediate physical needs when we're responding, when our baby is crying, that's obviously the most important initial response. And then when we're clear that those needs have all been met, that is when we are able to, to see the crying as, as, expression of of healing feelings rather than those needs-based feelings. And I like, I really love her book, Aware Baby. I've read it hundreds of times and I really (laughs) learn more each time I read it. And I love the the way that she describes how we can distinguish between these different things and the power Mm -hmm. of us as observers of our babies. And, And Marion Rose talks a lot about this too how we can observe how our babies are after being held in our arms and mm-hmm. listened to when we're clear that their physical needs have all been met. And we we can be reassured by how they appear after being held and, and heard in that way, that it was mm-hmm. the right, the, the right thing that they needed at the time. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about that process and, and how you explain that to parents? A lot of parents come to me for help with sleep, baby and toddler sleep. And I, my approach is that sleep is a state, not a skill. There are skills that come in eventually about how we can, how we can reduce distractions and help our nervous system breathe, all those things. But sleep itself is required for survival. So babies are born knowing how to sleep, but sometimes there are things that are preventing that relaxation from happening. And one thing we find after a big cry, after a cry release, is there's more relaxation. I like to 
picture those held in feelings, any pent up stress or feelings that haven't come out yet. I like to picture them as little wiggly creatures, <laughs> which sounds creepy now, but anyway, <laughs> little wiggly wigglies. And as the feelings come out and they're let, they're let out, they're allowed to come out. The wiggliness also comes out. And so babies and children naturally find that calmness or that nervous system balancing that naturally comes from getting those wiggly things out. So after a cry release, we often see that babies are much more calm, serene. If not, then that's where I investigate, like, let's go deeper, or is there some more birth story or something? But point being, babies will often either fall asleep after a big cry or stay awake, but they're serene and connected and you can tell a difference. Um, parents are often very surprised by what the baby is like afterwards. So what I find helps parents the most is two things, seeing that cycle, going through the process and seeing the other side of it and seeing how their baby got to the other side and they didn't have to do anything to get the baby to sleep or get the baby to stop crying. The baby is able to do that on their own. And that often takes some bravery and some discomfort to go through the process if you've never seen it before and never experienced it before and didn't have it yourself. And the other thing is is doing it with someone, doing it with someone who knows the process. So yeah, as far as observing the baby afterwards, how I work with parents is that I, I time my sessions with parents to go through that exact transition before a baby is falling asleep so that I can be there with them during the process to answer those questions and reassure them about all of this, that there's a difference afterwards. And, and I do talk about that often with, with people because it, it's going to bring up feelings for people and understanding that there is a cycle to it. So many people expect that the crying is just never ending the crying's not going to stop and when it's a when it's a cry release cry and it's some old feelings coming out there's a cycle to it and it does have an ending and it's and those cries get out and then and then that particular cry is done so that's that's a whole another perspective a lot of people have never seen yeah I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? That people have not seen it. People have never yeah. observed this because we're not living in a in a way where we're exposed to each other's children from a really young age. We just don't don't spend time with babies and, until we have our own. Often, so it's yeah. it be the first time we ever witness this. And mm -hmm. I love that that description of of the serenity, the calmness, the connectedness mm -hmm. that we see in children after in babies yeah. and, and young children after going through this. And of course, yeah, it is so important to, to be supporting parents in this process so that they are reassured that this is safe and that it is mm -hmm. immensely powerful. And that that experience when we first have it, when we first support parents to have that, where they hold a baby and they come through that whole cycle that you beautifully describe and they come out the other side with this amazing, I remember the first time I saw it in my own daughter and I was just 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it was like, this is some kind of magic. This is really <laughs> extraordinary. And I was yeah. so touched by it because I also realized that I'd probably never experienced that degree of calm, present, connected serenity myself yeah, yeah. in my life. And yet here yeah. was my beautiful daughter experiencing yeah. it because I had, had been able to just hold her in my arms. It's really extraordinary. It is. So I also work with baby-led motor development, which is, it's a similar concept in a way that where we've been talking about a lot of people don't realize that babies are communicating or how aware they are or that they have this cycle of, and that the cry release will end. Similar to that, a lot of people are not aware that babies will find their milestones completely on their own without being taught to sit, stand, and walk. So that work is from body-mind centering, infant developmental movement education. I'm really clear with people what's what when they come to work with me versus aware parenting. They're very aligned. And then the other thing is working with birth story. And that comes from the processing, the emotions around birth story comes from aware parenting Processing the movements that babies are showing from birth story for me comes from body-mind centering. And then there is another organization called APA for short. It's uh, Association for Pre- and Perinatal Psychology. They talk a lot about the awareness and consciousness of babies when they're born. And there are some teachers related to that work that also talk a lot about processing birth story. So I've kind of taken all of that together for for helping babies process birth story. So moms and dads also need to process, but I come at it from the perspective of the child. So I also find when parents come to me for help with sleep, Often the cry release, the crying in arms itself will solve a whole slew of sleep challenges. When it doesn't seem to resolve and parents have tried crying in arms, that's a lot of the people I work with. And I often find that there's some birth story in there that baby needs to process. So sometimes with birth story, when there was trauma or stress, I'm careful with the word trauma because culturally we also have i feel like there's a there's a view of trauma as something that's really major something that seems on the outside as really major but i really find they've got to process trauma but it doesn't matter what happened at the birth and it doesn't matter to whom it was stressful they still need to process it so any stress, regardless of how the birth was labeled, oh yeah, just be grateful that your child is healthy, whatever. It's important really how it went for everybody involved. So I find a lot of need for babies and toddlers to process their birth story and they're still processing it, like along with what we've been talking about, about how much they communicate already they're really trying to process their birth story. We mentioned before, there's a lot about birth and our earliest experience. We call them imprints that 
affect how we communicate with people, those first experiences set up our patterns for relationships, communication, how we perceive the world, our sense of okayness. And that shows through in behaviors. It, sometimes it's more direct, like a C-section baby may not want to go through a tunnel. That's a that's a very generalized example, but sometimes it's more like the two and a half year old is extremely demanding before bedtime and will not sleep until they've demanded several things and it takes a very long time and the parents are very exhausted. Sometimes we look back in their birth story and find there was a lot of being done to in their early experience. And it's just, when you look at it that way and realize that's how they learned to interact with the world. It's how they learned you interact with people. And then there's also, there can be the sense in there that something's not okay. And it's really hard to relax and sleep if there's some lingering thing that you can't put your finger on that feels like it's not okay. So that's what I do to really, yes, process the feelings and all the beautiful aware parenting ways we do. And then go also into symbolic play, like attachment play, which is also part of aware parenting we haven't talked about, but attachment play, but all kinds of just symbolic reading of behavior in general and understanding those links to the birth experience. Wow. What I find so interesting is one of the questions that I have on my pre-consultation questionnaire that I give to all the clients I work with is around the birth of their child mm -hmm. that they want to consult with me about. And what I find extraordinary is how often people will write the story. Well, the first question is, did your child experience trauma at, at birth or something like that? Mm -hmm. And people will write, or how traumatic was your child's birth or something around that? People will sort of say, yeah, not not really, not significant or nothing significant. And then they will go on to describe this incredibly stressful and traumatic experience yes. for both mother and child. And really, it's impossible for a child not to be, for a baby not to be stressed by a birth that is stressful for a mother. Yeah. And yeah. and yet there's so much of this minimizing of the, mm -hmm. the, the stress and the trauma of birth. So I really loved how you described in depth there how incredibly significant, how crucially significant our first experiences are in life in terms of shaping who we are and, and how we behave and, and how safe we feel in the world. So I really, really love that. And I also love that distinction that you make between the different aspects that you're supporting babies with in processing this birth story around processing the emotional side of it, as well as the movement side, because very often we see these really big movements and yes. backs and that kind of thing in, in young babies as they are processing birth stories. So yeah. I love that you bring in both of those and the attachment play piece as well, because I remember my son spontaneously when he was about three or four, spontaneously starting to play I was lying on the bed with him and he curled into my stomach and then he started pushing out down my legs. <laughs> and the words that he was using were so clearly processing his birth, which ended up being quite a lot of intervention and quite quite disempowering for him. And I mm -hmm. so see how at the time that was an incredible first processing really for him uh, using yes. play. But I so yes. see how the circumstances of his birth 
have deeply affected who he is and how he is. So how therefore powerful it is when we give our babies the opportunity to release and to heal, to let go of of the, the stress and the trauma associated with that experience. This makes me think about how Aletha explains, um, and this is in her new book, Helping. It's called Healing Your Traumatized Child. Yes. About healing takes place when there's a balance of trigger and safety, and how, in order to heal stress or trauma, there actually needs to be some of that trigger. They need, they need it peaked enough to be able to get the feelings out, but in safety, in a safe, emotionally safe environment. And then that's when the healing can occur. And the minimizing of birthing experiences and lack of awareness of how conscious babies are and how they remember their birth, a lot of that is missing. And a lot of trying to, oh, you've got to stop your baby from crying when some of their crying is trying to process and heal their birth story with that trigger safety balance. So I think being aware of that also, of this balance, healing needs that balance. It needs both trigger and safety. It doesn't just need safety. If it's all safety, all the stuff doesn't get healed, mm-hmm. which I think is a big perspective shift for a lot of people because we just think about oh being safe safe and comfortable safe and comfortable don't bring up the trigger it's going to be too triggering and there's ways to work with it if it is like it's still in respect of how much the child or the person can do at the moment but to realize that some amount of trigger is actually part of the healing process i feel like is also freeing for Mm -hmm. parents yeah, yeah. I loved how she described that in the in her book too, uh, the balance of attention. Yeah. And it, it is quite a nuanced dance, isn't it, to be to be moving in with enough safety to be able to support that access to the feelings and the release of the feelings and not too much connection with the feelings. Otherwise you can go into that hyper aroused response and, and, (laughs) and be flooded and overwhelmed by it, but enough connection to the feelings so that they're there, they're there at the surface, they're accessible. Mm -hmm. So it is a really delicate and nuanced process to get to get clear on that. And it looks different every time. Like sometimes we move in and we might be pushing too too close to the feelings too much of that there and and our children become a bit overwhelmed by it or or sometimes we move in with too much too much of the safety and then they they shut down too so it's it, it's really complicated stuff to <laughs> to learn and to practice well, i i work with mostly through age two and a half so it's babies and fathers and then some with birth story up to five so i've less experience the older they get with this but I would also say there's a balancing to be aware of that also babies are far more hardy than a lot of people assume. They can handle that big crying. It's that point when babies get to hysterical crying that really freaks a lot of parents out. And often that's exactly the big feelings that need to come out. So if if the process is always stopped right there, they don't get that chunk out and get over that hump. And also that babies will lead, babies and toddlers will lead the process 
and this is where about that communication piece, if we just pay attention and follow and learn some tools about how to follow them, get on baby time, toddler time, they will lead the way. They often initiate this. We don't even have to. Nearly every time I do a birth story session, child starts it. I'm all there like making the parent comfortable. The child is already in it. (laughs) They're playing peekaboo with me in the computer screen or they're playing with their toy that's getting stuck in the tunnel or whatever. They're already there. They're already trying to do it. And they're, they're much more hardy in that process than they often get credit for. And they also will signal when it's too much. So it, it's definitely both us being aware and reading them and also trusting that they're going to lead the process. They're not going to go too far in more than they can handle within the safety. It's just, it's this dual spiral thing back and forth. And that's my experience with babies and toddlers. And I feel like the older we get, the more layers of patterning we take on that we have to kind of sift through. So Yeah, I love that answer. And I think in the end, aware parenting again and again just invites us to come back to trusting, like trusting uh, in our babies, in their timing, in their capacity Mm -hmm. to heal and and trusting ourselves. And I think that's where often the the need for support comes in because it's difficult. It's a difficult process to learn to trust, isn't it? Which Babies already have so innately with this process. My favorite thing about aware parenting is the bond that comes from doing this with babies, from this cry release process. And it's something a lot of people are afraid of at first, but the bond and the trust that comes from it is just immense. And it's really hard to describe in words, but it's it's just unlike anything the trust that you develop with the communication when your child knows that they're listened to it's like when we know that we've been heard and how much we can settle with that it just makes such a big difference yeah it's it's so amazing and it's so touching and it's just so it's profound just, and beautiful when you're it's profound when you're listening to your baby and you hear them and then you you're there for them and then they they come through that full cycle and then there's just this level of connection between you which is so extraordinary and of course it's often really beautiful to explain that to parents as well because particularly people who come to aware parenting from this sort of more classical attachment parenting style which is often Mm -hmm. people's journey into aware parenting around breastfeeding and around Mm -hmm. the idea of a breastfeeding control pattern uh, and how the experience of breastfeeding your child when they've released their feelings and how incredibly connecting and beautiful Mm -hmm. that experience is in in contrast with when they're breastfeeding in order to suppress feelings. It's, yeah. It's really beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't spoken about in terms of how you support people or what you would like people to understand about aware parenting and this perspective? Let's see. I feel like it's really important to recognize how much this approach treats babies as people 
Babies are born with the ability to communicate already. They're born knowing emotions. It's really fascinating to me how it's so common for babies to not be allowed to have the cry release. And this is new information for so many people. So that's understandable. This is not a guilt trip. But when you don't have this information and babies are typically stopped from crying, they become disconnected from their feelings, disconnected from expression and communication, which also means there's a disconnection from recognizing it in other people. If they have felt it and expressed it, then they can recognize it in other people. So if that process has not happened for the baby, then what happens later is as a child, three, four-year-old, we have to reteach them. We have to teach them feelings. And I just think that's fascinating. There's been times when I've seen families that where the baby, they didn't know the information and the baby didn't have a chance, the child didn't have a chance to get their feelings out. And then later, there's a lot of work to do around teaching the child how to recognize their emotions, or there's all the books with the emotions or the corner with the poster about the emotion. And not to say these are bad things, but it is interesting, the link and when we can keep that open as babies, they really remain whole, whole people in a way that is very different from not having that opportunity as babies. And just to realize that they're real people with real feelings, real communication, real needs to process their experiences and their state of being affects them. It affects their sleep. What happens in their life affects them. And I also, what's fascinating to me is babies and toddlers don't hold grudges. They're not holding grudges against us. So I think parents often take on a lot of guilt about something that happened, or they don't want to talk about something. Like if if one of the parents, mom or dad, actually didn't want the child, they feel like they shouldn't talk about it. They don't want to put that burden on the child or they don't want to go there or it's too painful. But the reality is the child has already sensed that and they're not holding a grudge against us for those things. What they need is to process it, to have that out on the table, to recognize that, yes, that's that was there. Yes, you read that correctly. And here's why it happened. And here's where I am now. And I'm so sorry that happened. Like make the repair. Children are ready to move on. They just need to process it and get the feelings out and communicate. It's when we repress all those feelings, keep it all in, don't talk about it, grow up with all that stuff, become adults, have all this fear, all this old patterning left in us that we get scared with that stuff and it just shuts us down and shuts down our children and the communication and and then we can hold grow we end up holding grudges <laughs> as grown-ups when we haven't had all this amazing processing experience so i think 
babies raised with this, children raised with this have a way of processing. And when they've caught up on the old stuff, they process in the moment, which is incredible to witness because most of us don't process what's happening in the moment. And it just keeps the cycle going that keeps them open and keeps them moving on in life where so many of us get stuck in so many ways and hold stuff in. So welcome to your whole child, your your baby who is a full out person <laughs> and get on the journey because they have so much to teach us. Um, having a baby is really a healing journey for everyone who knows the baby. <laughs> I like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the the biggest, most profound opportunity. And I love that clarity that when babies are supported in this way to express all their feelings in the way that they are innately designed to do right from the moment of birth, they grow up with such close connection and wisdom about emotions and don't then need to learn it as an adult. And just the immense power really of being allowed to communicate and to have that to be then acknowledged and to be heard and for for repair to take place in order mm -hmm. to process right then and there what is painful for us and, and how mm -hmm. liberating that is mm -hmm. for babies and young children to then grow into adults who are not burdened by layers and mm -hmm. layers and layers and layers of pain. It's just so yes. beautiful. <laughs> it is. I think what you said, getting that out is liberating and there tends to be so much fear about getting it out in the first place, but just being able to step back and have that big view, there's an other side to this. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Mm. Thank you so much. That was really beautiful. So if people want to work with you, Eliza, how do people, where do you share your work? How can people get hold of you? Come find me at consciousbaby.com. I am on Facebook. I have a Facebook group. Conscious Baby with Eliza Parker. I'm a little less on Facebook lately, but it's there. And I am on Instagram, except <laughs> I don't use Instagram that much. So come find me at ConsciousBaby.com and contact me. You can contact me through my website or Eliza at ConsciousBaby.com. I work with parents in one-on-one -on -one sessions. I also have a, an ongoing group that's nice for staying in touch, having camaraderie, following your baby's progression. So get in touch with me and we can figure out the best match. Lovely. Mm. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you. And the last Thanks. thing I always ask my guests is, oh, it's, it's a little bit different because you don't have children yourself, but if you <laughs> could go back to the beginning of your work with babies and children, knowing what you deeply know and understand to be true now, what would you love to have to be able to tell yourself at the beginning of the journey? Before I had the OR parenting information, I remember nannying with a baby and he would cry a lot and I would sneak into the room. He was in a cradle, a cradle that could rock. So I'd sneak into the room down below so he wouldn't see me and rock the cradle. <laughs> and that's always been a striking image to me, which I've always had the connection about babies being communicators and people. But 
that link of crying was missing. And I think that's all, it's a common experience of doing something to get the baby to sleep or to get the baby to stop crying without the link of the relationship piece in it and holding space. So that's that's one of my striking pre-aware parenting images. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your your thoughts and your reflections and your wisdom around all of this. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's going to be so helpful for people, particularly people with young children, but for all of us just to understand this at a deeper level. So I'm really, really grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Joss. I guess also the last thing I would say to parents is you're not doing something wrong. If your baby is crying a lot or not sleeping, you're not doing something wrong. It's not because you're doing anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.